Good morning. It is good to be together. It is good to see you. It is good to have a good crowd. We're thankful for your attendance this morning and the opportunity to study together and to worship God. We're thankful for your presence. We've tried hard through all of this not to mention every person who's back because it's too hard as we have a lot of folks who have been in and out and, and have been gone for a while but have come back. But it's just good to see this crowd. I was thinking a minute ago, we've got, uh, we've got grandmas, we've got mamas, we've got mamas, we've got just about everybody probably in, in different categories. Uh, it's good to see the Rick and Rose Wagner back with us. They've been gone for a while away on work. But there's just a lot of folks that it's good to see again and we're thankful that you have chosen to be here this morning. This is your last chance, uh, last warning. I'll remind you one more time that, uh, that we'll be gone for the next couple of weeks, so the crowd will, will certainly rise, and we hope that you plan to be here. Uh, tentatively, right now, tentatively, uh, I'll just warn you, it looks like hopefully next week our brother Jim Deerman will be here. Uh, Jim, of course, in Janus worship with the Dunlap congregation, but we're all familiar with the support that we give and the work that Jim does uh, with good news today. And he was excited as the elders asked about uh, seeing if he could come, that maybe he would be able to and, and give a brief report on the work and show his thankfulness for the support that the congregation gives here to that program. And for better or for worse, you're probably stuck with Charles after that. So I'll just say, and I know there will be 300 people here because then he'll never let me live it down. So you all need to be sure and be here then. But we're grateful for the chance for those who can be here and fill in. We're thankful for that. I do want to take just a moment, as has already been said this morning, and, and give a moment of thanks for our mothers and to the Mother's Day that we celebrate. You know, over the course of the last week, I've heard people say you should preach on Mother's Day, you shouldn't preach on Mother's Day, uh, that you should mention it and you shouldn't, or you should mention it and you shouldn't mention it. And of course, I think ultimately what we're trying to say is, is we're thankful for our mothers, uh, but at the same time, there are many who struggle to become a mother. They're not able to for physical reasons. There are many who have lost their mothers. There's many who have lost their children, and they don't feel the same about their motherhood. But for whatever uh, reason it is, or uh, however you are in your situation, we are thankful for our moms. We're thankful that you are here today and for the opportunity that we all have in our own way to encourage our mothers and our grandmothers and all those who have taken a part in our lives. Last week, I asked you, if you were here with us, to, to come back. It's one of the things I asked as we began the lesson to, to make a request and ask that you come back and be with us again this Sunday. And that's because the topic that we've talked about for the last few weeks is a, it's a very difficult topic in a sense. It's very difficult to give the topic the attention that it needs in about 30 minutes or less. 30 minutes or less, okay? Fine, 33 minutes is kind of the average here lately, but that's okay. 30 minutes or so. Uh, it's tough to talk about grace in just that short amount of time. And so it was beneficial for us to maybe take two weeks and to consider not only grace, but some of the ideas that go along with grace. If you weren't with us last week, we understand that's all right. You're always welcome to go and view the videos we have on our Facebook page and, and YouTube, simply because it might be encouraging. Uh, this morning we're going to talk about grace, but some other sides or parts of things that deal with grace. But as we mentioned last week, we are so thankful for God's amazing grace. It is a sweet Sound. It is a wonderful and amazing thing. And it's not always, but often when someone speaks of grace, they are referencing, how, referencing it with a sense of how wonderful it is and how it is for everyone. And both of those things are true. We're going to come back to it in a minute in our lesson, but we said last week that God's amazing grace is available for all men. Titus chapter 2 and verse 11. And I meant every single word that I said last week. I don't stand here this morning to take any of it back. 
The amazing grace that God gives is available for all. The, man, the, the woman or the young woman who has maybe had an abortion in her past. The man who may be dealing with adultery, committing adultery. The person who might have committed murder. The young person who has not followed God's plan for the relationship and it being inside of marriage. The person who is dealing with anger. The person struggling with gossip. The person in the throes of addiction, whatever it may be. Anyone, any type of sin. We're all in need of God's grace, and that grace is available for all. But any true Bible student also understands, any person who is truly interested in knowing the will of God through studying His Word knows that it is very difficult to make one statement and get the entire picture. And we want to begin this morning by thinking about just that. If you have your Bible, first of all, let's look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, because you see when we talk about grace, it is great and wonderful to sing the songs that we sang last week and that we've sung already this morning. It's great and wonderful to think about how God's grace covers all types of sin because we all have those different types of sin. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved. That's a true statement. For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. We've got it. We are saved by grace through faith. We are so thankful for that encouragement from the word of God. But then we turn over in our Bible and we go to James chapter 2 in verse number 24. And James makes a statement that if you were to, if a person, and I realize the odds would be very small, very, very small, but, but if a person were to open their Bible to Ephesians 2 and then close their Bible and open it again to James 2 and read verse 24, you see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. You can understand how a person might look at that and say, wait a minute, that doesn't sound right. How can we be saved by grace and, and saved by works? We're saved by grace through faith. We're justified by our works. How is that possible? These guys must have been writing something different. They must have been talking to a different person. This can't be by inspiration because these things don't go together. Are we saved by grace? Yes, not by works. Are we saved by works? Yes, we're justified by our works. Well, which is it? And that's what we want to talk about for a few moments this morning. We want to try to understand how those verses can be reconciled together, how we can help someone, and maybe even you, if you've considered these things this morning and said, well, is it grace or is it works? When I hear one person say something, or I read what, something, what someone wrote on the internet or, uh, or an article of this regard, but then I read this other one, how do I know what it really is? Well, which is it? Let's talk about it this morning. The first thing that we want to mention, and you'll, uh, excuse me because the, the font turned out bigger there than I meant for it to, but one way that we can look at it, and as you're making notes, if you have your outline in front of you, is one way we can look at it is to say that God's grace is unmerited favor, as we talked about last week. But what we want to notice this week is that while grace is unmerited, the word that you're miss missing across the bottom there is that it is not unconditional. It is unmerited, but it is not unconditional. You know, when we say the word unconditional, that sounds fun. It sounds easy. It is pleasing to the ears and often the way we would like for things to be. To say that something is without condition. When you say I love someone unconditionally, some people would say well, that gives me a license to do whatever I want to do. Because whatever I do, you're going to love me unconditionally. 
conditionally. Well, grace is unmerited favor. That's the usual definition. We emphasized that last week. There's nothing that we can do to merit, to, to earn God's favor in that way. We need God's grace. It is his unmerited favor. But it's not unconditional. And just because we like the word unconditional and it makes us feel good to think about grace being that way, it does not make it so. When we speak of grace, there are often several words that are used. And you'll see them on your outline there. Again, if you have your bulletin in front of you, and, and if you don't, or for those watching online that may not, I apologize in that sense. But, but you'll see several of those words that are used there. Grace, faith, law, and works. And when we talk about grace, that's wonderful. But we also sometimes have to talk about these other things. Grace is God's unmerited favor. We know that. Our faith, when we talk about the word faith this morning, we're going to talk about belief. There are several different ways the word faith is used in the Bible. It's sometimes spoken of as the faith, the system of faith. We're going to talk about our belief this morning, the faith that we have to have, according to the Hebrew writer. When we talk about law, we're talking about a rule of conduct, not just the law of Moses, although the law of Moses was a set of rules of conduct, but the law, the rule of conduct that we live by, and then, of course, works, works of obedience. We don't have time this morning, I'm sorry, but when we talk about works, there are works, ways that word is used in the Bible. There are works according to the law of Moses. There are works of merit, and we are not saved by our works of merit, but there are works of obedience, and that's what we're going to talk about this morning. I want us to look at those words and some biblical examples. Is it grace? Are we saved by grace? Are we saved by faith? Are we saved by law, or are we saved by works? Now, if you have your outline in front of you, what I'd like for us to do in the next few minutes, that's meant to be a bit of a chart or boxes. We're going to ask the question of whether or not the people and the things that are mentioned there were saved by grace, faith, law, or works. And what you can do, if you would like to, is you can either write yes or no in the box, or you can put a Y or an N if you would like. But let's think about some biblical examples. There are others that we could have talked about we won't have time to get to this morning, but I found an outline by Brother Paul Sane in a lectureship book in regards to these examples. And it was just too, they were just too great of an example. They were just too great of an illustrations for us to not look at them this morning. As we consider, is it grace or is it works? And what part does faith and law play in all these things? So if you have your Bibles, first of all, let's turn to Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6. And as we begin this morning, we're going to ask, was Noah saved by grace? And the answer is yes. Was Noah saved, first of all, maybe in that first box, by grace? Yes. Or if you want to put the letter Y, that's fine. Noah was saved by grace. In the New King James Version, if you have the New King James in front of you, in Genesis chapter 6 and verse number 8, the Bible says, But Noah found grace. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Think with me. I'm going to ask you to, to think for a minute, okay? With all these examples, let's reason together. Had it not been for grace, had it not been for the grace of God, Noah would have died in the flood. Even though Noah was righteous, and we read that in the, on the pages of the Bible, he did not merit, nor had he earned salvation. Noah was saved by grace. And if it weren't for the grace of God and him finding grace in the eyes of the Lord, he would have died and perished in the flood like everyone else. Let's go on. Was Noah saved by 
faith? Yes. Had Noah not believed what God said about the coming flood, he would not have responded in obedience to the commands of God. Think about believing. What possible reason would prompt someone to build a giant ark requiring years of hard labor at great sacrifice? And by the way, we mention this from time to time, but supposedly rain wasn't even a thing. If he's mentioning that I'm going to save you, if you would be obedient, I'll save you from the rain. People were really scratching their head because it had not rained. So what kind of person would take the time and effort to build an ark if it were not for faith in God's warning? And of course, he is found, good old Noah is found in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 7, Noah saved by faith. Was Noah saved by faith? Yes. Was Noah saved by law? Well, yes. God commanded Noah, Genesis chapter 6 and verse number 14, make thee an ark of gopher wood. If God had merely looked upon the evil of the world, if he had looked upon the evil of the world and then acknowledged Noah as a man of righteousness in an evil world and did nothing else, Noah would have perished. He would have died in the flood. The will of God, the law of God was critical to Noah's salvation. What would have happened if he had used some other kind of wood? What would have happened if he had made it a different length or if he had used something else? We don't know. But we know that he did by faith and by law obey what God had said. Was Noah saved by law? We might say yes as well. Was Noah saved by works? We might say yes. Even if he believed what God had said in his warning, even if Noah had said, well, God, that sounds like something you're going to do. I believe that. But unless Noah acted upon what God had said, followed the instructions and fully obeyed God, what would have happened? He would have perished in the flood. He would have died like everyone else. Gopher wood, as God commanded. 300 cubits in length, as God commanded. One door and one window, check, as God commanded. Noah, we might say, was saved by works of obedience. Noah was not saved by just grace. He didn't just need God's grace. It was only when Noah received the commands of God, trusted in God, and fully obeyed God that Noah and his family were saved from the flood. So what about us? That's what we're considering this morning. Let's move on if you have your Bible to 2 Kings chapter 5. You may recall in 2 Kings chapter 5 that wonderful story of Naaman. Naaman's leprosy. Naaman who was captain of the host of the Syrian army. Naaman who was powerful, who was influential, who was honorable. Naaman who was leprous. Had everything else you could have. Had everything we might even say that money could buy. But he was leprous. So let's do it. Let's go through it. Was Naaman saved by grace? Well, yes. Naaman was a leper. You know, I don't like to think about leprosy. It's not very fun. It's a little disgusting when you really, if you ever really study it and know what it can do to your body and to your skin. He was a leper. Naaman would die a leper unless grace was extended to him. That was his fate in life. 
Like many other people, we sometimes see movie stars or, or athletes or people who are, we, some people say, taken too early or they have some kind of terrible thing that, that shortens their career or their lifespan. And, and we say, well, that's, you know what? They had all that they could have that money could buy, but yet they were, they were still affected by cancer. They were still affected by something else. Naaman was top dog, but he was still affected by leprosy. He could not cure himself. Grace was needed. Naaman was saved by grace. Was Naaman saved by faith? Of course he was. Obviously, had Naaman not believed the information that came from the Israelite servant girl, if you recall the story that the Israelite servant girl spoke to her master who spoke to Naaman, said, I know someone, but had Naaman not believed the information from the Israelite servant girl, would he have traveled for a distance to go and meet this man of God? Without faith, would he have stood at the door to the house of Elisha? Then, when told law, when told what to do, what reason would he have dipped in the Jordan seven times were it not for faith? Don't you think that Naaman probably got a host of other things? I mean, have you ever had some kind of sickness or, or disease, maybe for a time where everyone brings you every remedy that they've ever heard of? You could try this, you could try that. You don't think that he heard it all? But he had to have some belief, some faith, in order to go and do these things. Was Naaman saved by faith? We might say, yes. Was Naaman saved by law? What was he told to do? To go to wash in the Jordan seven times. How foolish for Naaman to think that he could just guess. I'll, I'll try this. It seems as good as anything else. How, how foolish of Naaman to think that he could do what he wanted. And he could have tried, I guess, if he wanted to. And he might have tried for years to get rid of this dreaded disease. But he did. According to the saying of the man of God. And when he did, was Naaman saved by law? Doing exactly what he was commanded to do. We might say yes. We oftentimes think, what if he had stopped at six? Dipped down in the water time number six and stood up and stopped. What if rising the seventh time... He said, I appear to be healed, but you know what? One more time for good measure, I'll go down an eighth time. What would have happened? We don't know for sure, but by every example that we read, including Noah and including what happens to Naaman, I think we can know what happened. Whether it comes back immediately or whatever it is, probably wouldn't have worked because he would not have been saved by the law and obeying God. Was Naaman saved by works? In connection, of course, without a doubt, he was saved by works. Naaman could have known of the servant girl. He could have heard of the man of God. He could have had hope of being cleansed. But until he heard the message of God and then followed the law, the instructions, he would have still been a leper. Did works save Naaman from leprosy? Well, yes, they did. Not works of merit, as we talked about a few moments ago, but works of obedience. Naaman was not saved by just grace. He didn't just need God's grace. It was only when Naaman received the commands of God, trusted in God, and fully obeyed God that Naaman was cleansed of his leprosy. Now let's talk next. If you have your Bible, you might want to go to Joshua chapter 6. And let's talk about some walls. And of course, not just any old walls. Probably the most famous walls in all of the Bible We've got some famous walls in the history of the world that we know of even today. But let's not just talk about any walls. Let's talk about the walls of Jericho for just a minute. And of course, we're not so much encouraged by the walls as we are the people who are involved with the walls. 
But let's talk about those walls from Joshua chapter 7. You remember the story that God had told them, that he had given them. He says in Joshua chapter 6 and verse number 2, I have given into thine hand Jericho. And if we were like them or they were like us, we'd say, whoopee, that's it. That's all I got to do. I have given it into your hands. That's great. We are thankful to you, God, for that. But we know that even though he says that, and if you turn there, you might remember in the beginning of the chapter. This wasn't at the end. This wasn't after the walls were down. This was the beginning. And he says, I've given Jericho into your hands. And like some people do in today's world, all right, God, well, then what do we have to do next? Additional commands were given as to exactly what they should do. So let's ask the same questions. And I know some of you have already filled in the answers, all right? I know some of you have been cheating. All right, that's fine. We'll go through it anyways. Did the walls of Jericho fall as a result of grace? Absolutely. Think of it this way. I ask you to reason with me for a moment. Think of it this way. Would any wall... I mean, we could practice if we wanted. It's a nice day. We could go outside and walk around. Would any old wall fall down if someone marched around it one time for six days and seven times on the seventh day? I won't ask you. We won't go practice. But it sounds absurd. It would never happen. We could spend the time getting everybody in line and walking around the building and not just any old wall is going to fall. But we must conclude then that God's offer was hinged on God's grace providing a way with faith and action required by man so did the walls of Jericho fall as a result of grace well yes they did and we can actually try that because we can go march around any wall that we find and it's not just going to fall down it's not the way that it works the walls of Jericho fell flat as a result of grace did the walls of Jericho fall flat as a result of faith well yes there was no reason we can cover it all logically militarily, nor any degree of common sense that would have concluded that the walls would fall upon their merely marching around them, blowing on their trumpets and shouting. In fact, we should be thankful that we weren't there because I know many of us would have been looking at each other saying, really? I mean, seriously, do you think that they're going to fall? Do you think they're going to fall? Because I don't think they're going to fall. How in the world? This does not make any sense. Imagine if someone asked them what they were doing. We go through that today when someone says, well, why are you doing the things you do? And sometimes we're willing to give them a Bible answer. And other times we go, well, yeah, I know I'm kind of odd. I look a little different than everybody else. Maybe we hem haul around about exactly how we're going to answer someone. But imagine if someone walking by stopped and asked these people what it is they were doing while marching around the walls. How unbelievably, unbelievably foolish their answer would have sounded. But they believed God. Faith was essential. And yes, again, Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 30, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down. Did the walls of Jericho fall flat as a result of law? I think we can answer yes. Think about how throughout the history of man, God has always given man instructions and the responsibility of following and doing just as instructed. This law, so-called law, we keep using that word, but this law is not optional. If the Israelites wanted Jericho, desired the walls to crumble, the only way was to hear the word of God. The only way for those things to happen was to hear what God required. And he told them. 
Did the walls of Jericho fall as a result of law? Yes. Did the walls of Jericho fall as a result of works? Yes. The Israelites heard what God said, and it would have been possible for them to have had faith. God, I believe, I have seen you, I have seen your promises come true. I believe that if we do that, that those walls will fall. But you know what? I just don't have time. You know what? I just don't think I can. I've got other things to do. That would be some people's answer. The Israelites heard what God said, and it would have been possible for them to have had faith in what God promised, but until they obeyed his commands, the walls stood. Remember, they did not fall after one trip on the first day. They didn't fall after one trip on the sixth day. They didn't fall after the first, third, or sixth trip on the seventh day. Only when the seventh trip on the seventh day was completed, and they blew their trumpets, and they shouted, just as God commanded, did the walls come tumbling down. Complete, full, total obedience, as God has always required of people who want to follow him. It's a pretty impressive chart when you think about it. Pretty interesting to consider those questions because so many people want to say, we're saved by grace. Preach on. People sometimes want to say, we're saved by works. Preach on. Let's think about all of those things because they are important, not only to Noah and Naaman and the Israelite, the children of Israel, the walls of Jericho, but to us as well. Now, one thing that people sometimes say is, is we shouldn't qualify grace. That's one of those statements that people sometimes make when they want to talk about grace only. Well, you know what, you preacher, you know what, you folks, you're not, you, you shouldn't qualify grace. You just need to preach God's grace and God's grace only. That's true. We are saved by grace. God's grace is wonderful. We shouldn't qualify it in a sense. But it's very interesting that Paul, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, in the word of God, gives us a full picture in Titus chapter 2. And let's go back there as we did last week. Titus chapter 2. And actually, I want to give you a little nugget here. If you were with us last week, and if not, again, you can go back and view the lesson. But last week, we asked you to underline some things in your Bible. We were in Ephesians chapter 2. Do you remember? If you were with us last week, we talked about a way to look at the recipe of God's grace. There were three words. And I really want to call on a few of you and make you stand up and recite them. But I won't. I won't. Some of you, you need a second to let your blood pressure calm down because I'm not. I'm not going to call on you. But the really neat thing, all right, the really cool thing about the Word of God by inspiration of the Holy Spirit is Ephesians chapter 2 talks about God's grace. And last week we said that Titus chapter 2 talks about God's grace. But do you remember the recipe? Let's, let's go forward into chapter 3 and think about grace a little bit more. And you might remember some of these words. But when the, underlined it, underline it, kindness, and the, underline it, love, of God, our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his, underline it, mercy, he saved us. Through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that having been, verse 7, justified by his, you can circle it, grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. If you go back to Ephesians 2 and you are with us last week, I think we underlined mercy, love, and kindness, and we circled grace. Here we're talking about it again, and the same words are used. We said last week, straight from the pen of Paul, that the grace of God 
brings salvation, that brings salvation, has appeared to, and if you've got your notes and it's off the screen, all men. You remember that. The grace of God appears to all men. We gave the list that we gave last week at the beginning of the lesson today. Everyone in a sinful situation who has an opportunity to become saved, to become obedient. The grace of God has appeared to all men. That is as true in this moment as it was last week, as it was when Paul put the pen to paper and wrote it down. But that is not the end of this sentence. I think I told you that last week. Titus chapter 2 and verse 11, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. You may have a comma. Teaching. Teaching us to live. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live. And how should we live? Depending on the version that you have in front of you. That we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. Question, what does the grace of God do? Well, it covers my sins. Preach on. Amen. Absolutely, it covers my sins. It covers your sins. But that's not all. Paul is writing to the young man here, Titus, and saying that the grace of God teaches us. And doesn't just teach us how to cook. Doesn't just teach us how to do laundry. Doesn't just teach us how to get to work. It teaches us how to live. Soberly, righteously, and godly. It does it teach us to live how we want? Nope. Does it teach us that we should continue in sin? Nope. It teaches us how to live. It teaches us how to, be so to live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. And notice even down to verse 15. Speak these things. Exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one despise you. You see, the truth of the matter is, is that God has qualified grace. That's the truth of the matter. Some people say, you can't qualify grace. You, you should just preach grace and grace only. That's true. But God has qualified grace. You, me, a person, any person must be in Christ. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse number 3. It is in Christ where all spiritual blessings are found, including God's grace. Are we saved by grace? Yes. But we must also do works, works of obedience. And after receiving God's grace in salvation, we must then not do works of merit, but live the faithful life of one who is a recipient of God's amazing grace. That's the balance that we're trying to find. You know, one of the problems of social media is that everything is set up as a false dichotomy. It's just really hard. It's an either-or statement. It's black or white. If you say that you are for the police, that must mean that you don't like black people. Or you say that you like black people, that means you don't support the police. All kinds of things like that. And we know that those things are not an either-or proposition. You can love all men, as the Bible said you should, and we should, even as was prayed for us this morning, support our law, law enforcement and others who do things and watch out for us. Things don't have to always be either or, and we have to stop making everything an either or proposition. As I stand here before you this morning, let me be clear. We are absolutely 100% saved by grace, but it's not an either or proposition. We are absolutely 100% saved by works. The works of obedience, not works of merit. 
And let us say, as we said last week, our role is to share and extend the grace of God to others. Our role includes sharing the full gospel of Christ. And within that, when a person accepts that obedience, that gospel of Christ, and is obedient, that amazing grace of God, then they will learn to live soberly, righteously, and godly. Are we saved by grace or are we saved by works? Yes. I'm thankful for God's grace and for the opportunity to be obedient to his will. This morning as we conclude our lesson, I want to finish with another illustration. Last week we ended with the illustration with the seashells and being on the beach looking for seashells. I want to finish with another illustration this morning. It's a quote from N.B. Hardiman and the, the Tabernacle Sermons. And it was by our brother Paul Sane related in his article in one of our lectureship books in the library. But let me illustrate it this way through the words of N.B. Hardiman. Water. Water, so necessary to the human family, is absolutely free and positively abundant, but it runs in channels. I cannot go out here in some field and sit there pining and weeping away my time, begging for water, and expect God to bring it and give it to me in spite of myself. But I know this, that water has its channels in which to run either in our streams or under the surface of the earth. And if I will dig down deep enough, I will find the channel and nature's beverage absolutely free. This is God's law, and I must conform to it if the blessings are mine. God has ordained that grace by which men are saved shall run through the commandments of God. Therefore, the man that is saved by grace must conform to God's commandments, for that is the law by which men are saved, if saved at all. Are you saved by grace this morning? If not, why not? Become obedient, even as the slide talks about here that we put up each week. Become obedient by putting on Christ in baptism, allowing his blood to wash away your sins. Accept his grace by being obedient, being baptized for the remission of your sins, where you contact the blood of Christ, and the Lord will add you to his church. Have you been saved by grace, but you aren't walking in the light? Come back to him. By repentance, confession, and prayer, you don't have to stay in that state. We are thankful for God's grace and the opportunity to become obedient and to stay faithful, even to the point of death, as the Bible and the New Testament so encourages us to do. We're thankful for our elders that one will be coming forward in just a moment to receive you and to listen, to pray with you and for you. If you have any need this morning, any desire, we're thankful for the opportunity to sing, to encourage you to make a change, even now as we stand together and as we sing.